This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Is the government intent on preventing families who have suffered through the devastation in our long-term care homes from getting justice? For the last couple of weeks, we've been telling you about a proposed amendment to the law that would make it harder to certify class action suits. Well, now there is more. Yesterday, Premier Doug Ford announced that his cabinet will consider legislation that would limit the liability of essential service and health care providers like nursing homes during COVID-19. British Columbia and nine U.S. states have gone so far as to specifically limit the liability of nursing homes. We haven't been told very much about what is being considered. But apparently these measures would protect healthcare workers and providers who spread the virus unknowingly while following all emergency and public health protocols. However, immunity will not be given to cases that can be proven to have been grossly negligent. Long-term care operators, who we will bring into the conversation later, say the liability protection is necessary because the homes won't be able to get insurance without it. Now, we're covering this from all angles, but we begin with Kathy Parks, a woman who lost her father at Pickering's Pickering's Orchard Villa, and her lawyer, Marissa Miller, who is a partner with Howie, Sachs, and Henry. Uh, Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, Let's begin with Kathy. Tell us your story. You lost your dad to COVID on, on April 15th, right? I did, yes. I'm so um, sorry. Our thank condolences. You. Thank you. Yeah, they had announced uh, an outbreak in the home on the 9th, and I spent between the 9th and the 15th um, trying to do everything I could really to get him help or get him out of the home and into the hospital, and uh, I just wasn't permitted. I was sort of blocked at every turn. Uh, how so? Um, I Well, I couldn't see him, and I was being told he was fine. Uh, he hadn't originally been tested for COVID, although he had a fever. And I insisted on that. And then when I finally did get to see him through his window, I knew that he was not fine. Uh, He was comatose, which he had previous to this. He had been very lucid and talkative. Um, So I requested for a visit. I requested for an ambulance to take him to the hospital. And I requested oxygen and was denied both by the home. Wow. Uh, We know that certainly at the beginning and probably through the middle of the pandemic, People in long-term care were not, they were not allowed to go to the hospital. Uh, they were, they were not allowed. You mean the residents were not allowed? The residents were not yeah. allowed to be taken to hospitals. That well, changed recently. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was told. So this was on the 14th of April. I was told that the hospitals weren't accepting, but I had actually called the hospital before calling the home and they said, yes, they were. And the home said, no, they're lying. And it wasn't actually until after my father passed away, I was talking to the MPP for Pickering-Uxbridge, and he said, no, all hospitals were mandated to take everyone. 
So there was a big lack of communication there. And there were actually other people. I just found out today, actually, that another woman managed to have her father sent on the 9th of April. So it was hit and miss with, you know, sometimes they were saying no. Well, they were saying no to everyone. And if you pushed really hard, they would eventually have to give in. So some people made it to the hospital and some didn't. Uh, Kathy, what do you think of this proposed provision covering the liability of nursing homes? Well, you know what? I read the same about uh, BC and several of the states in the U.S., and I can understand that there's a concern that if all these homes can't get insurance and they shut down, where will the seniors go? Um, But at the same time, I'm worried that this will be so broad that it will provide loopholes for the for-profit homes to use so that they can protect themselves against being sued for wrongful death, which is exactly what, uh, you know, Melissa and and I'm doing for an, a number of other families. So the specifics would be nice. I'd like to hear exactly what the details are. Um, I'm concerned in conjunction with some other things that are going on with the Ford government, exactly what this means. It seems to me right now to mean protection for for-profit homes, and that concerns me. Uh-huh. Does it, does it, how do you feel when you see that? I was upset. I, I was really quite angry at first um, because it's just one more step in going directly against what Ford's been saying in his daily briefings, but what he's doing doesn't match his words. So I was very upset, and uh, I wrote a strongly worded letter <laughs> to him. I don't know. It probably won't mean anything because none of them in the past have actually had any effect, but um, I plan to try and fight it in any way I can. I'll be there as a voice in any way that I can. It, it almost makes me feel like my father's death was for nothing. Again, sorry for your loss. Melissa Miller, uh, what's your view of this type of a pro- uh, provision? And is there a context, you know, inside the lawsuit that you are launching? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think this legislation is like a sucker punch to the gut to all of my clients. Um, it It's the incredible amounts of backpedaling by the Ford administration in light of, as Kathy said, um, our premier's acknowledgement and how broken our system is. We have absolutely no idea what a bad actor means, what good or bad faith means in the context of this legislation. And I mean, proposed legislation. And that's exactly what lawsuits are for. How do you make that kind of a judgment call in advance? Um, you need, a, you need litigation to determine these issues. And to that end, Bringing a lawsuit like this is not a blank check to the plaintiffs bringing the lawsuit. They still have to prove that the homes were negligent. You don't just, they're not just going to write a check to all of the people who've lost loved ones. We have a lot of work to do in these cases. We've got a lot of it. We've been working very hard at investigating these cases. And not all COVID deaths in nursing homes are as a result of negligence. I totally agree with that. But imposing legislation like this is not going to limit the number of lawsuits. It's just making it additionally more difficult for the families that have legitimate cases against these homes. And as Kathy said, protecting our for-profit homes. And I find that extremely, extremely concerning. Uh, Let me ask you this. So it says immunity will not be given uh, in cases that 
that can be proven to have been grossly negligent. Well, I would think the current law follows that. And what is what does the current law say or does it say anything for somebody who followed all the rules and the protocols and still unknowingly spread the virus? I mean, is there current protection in the law or is that sure. something? For sure. I mean, if, if a home... Uh... If a home did absolutely everything it was supposed to, had all of the appropriate PPE, was distancing residents as much as they could, and was prepared for the pandemic as they should have been under the legislation, and someone still got infected with COVID, they might have protection there for sure. It's going to be difficult for um, a plaintiff to show that there was negligence. And we're not talking about those cases. So, as I said, bringing a lawsuit against a nursing home doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a payout. But if a family is able to prove that a nursing home fell below the standard of care, they ought to receive compensation for that. And they shouldn't have to meet an additional burden of gross negligence. Proving negligence is difficult enough. Oh, okay. I didn't realize those things were, were different, uh, legally. So this will make mm-hmm. it hard. Will this make it harder for Kathy to get justice? Do you think? I have, I have to assume so because otherwise there would be no reason for the current administration to be imposing any protection at all. Okay. Um, Kathy, just, uh, in closing, what would you like to leave us with? Um, I just, you know, you hear, you hear lawsuits and you think that it's about the money. And I can tell you that for all the families, myself included, it's not, it's not about the money. It's about having justice. And that's really important. And so this extra step to make it that much harder, it is, it is a a punch in the gut and a slap in the face. It's dishonoring the people that we've lost and it's disgraceful. And Melissa, what would you like to leave us with? I mean, I think Kathy said it best. You know, we need accountability here, and we have a justice system for a reason. Um, lawsuits are one way to hold uh, people and organizations to account, and we ought to be provided that opportunity without any restriction from our government. Okay, well, we will be following this closely, and we will be exploring all other avenues of this story. Uh, in the meantime, Kathy Parks and Melissa Miller, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to bring in Marissa Lennox. What do you think? You've been listening to Kathy Parks and Melissa Miller. What do you think listening to that? Well, I think um, Ms. Parks and Ms. Miller make a very compelling case. You know, this is a time when emotions are running very high. Families have lost loved ones in long-term care facilities. And the messaging that's coming from the province is that there could potentially be this new immunity protection that may thwart their ability to seek justice. So I understand um, many families uh, rightly having questions about what this means. Does this mean that a home whose very conditions four-bedroom wards, narrow hallways, may have contributed to the virus. Will they be granted immunity? Um, and so there's no question that, you know, we've seen a number of class actions initiated on behalf of residents so far. Uh, there will be more. And I think from CARP's perspective, um, it's critical that whatever decision the province makes here, that um, it not compromise 
uh, a family's ability to seek justice. From, I mean, we don't know that much about this. Uh, from what you do know, how will this make it harder for a family to seek and to get justice? Well, again, and I'm not a lawyer, but based on what I've heard from from Melissa, uh, the lawyer previously, just speaking with you, uh, it sounds like it'll increase the burden. It'll put that burden on the plaintiff to prove negligence. And one thing she said, I think that was really telling was that proving negligence is difficult enough in law. And so you want families and residents in these homes to have every means possible to seek justice. And and to, to Ms. Park's point, this isn't about compensation. This isn't about money. I mean, we heard one senior executive at Siena Living refer to residents in long-term care homes as, class, as, as blood-sucking class action lawsuit people. That's not what this is about. This is about justice for families. Let's bring in Graham Webb from the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. Graham, what do you make of this additional uh, proposed legislation? I mean, we've been hearing, and Marissa was testifying about a, a separate provision that would make it harder to certify a class action, and, and now this. How do you see this? Oh, I think it's a terrible idea, Libby, because uh, people want accountability from the long-term care home sector. And as uh, Kathy Parks just said, these actions are not necessarily about the money. They're about justice. People are looking for justice and um, bringing about a law that makes it harder for the families of uh, long-term care home residents to obtain justice is really going against everything that we need in Ontario to correct the long-term care home system. I suppose that this sort of rests on what is considered uh, spreading the virus unknowingly while following all emergency and public health protocols. We know that uh, there were a number of homes that did not separate COVID-positive patients from ones who were negative, and the, the reason for some of that ostensibly was that they didn't have any other place to put them. So, um under the current law, would that be uh, an excuse, and is will this would this cover that? Well, under the current law, it may well be a viable defense because, as uh, you heard from Melissa Miller quite correctly, um, proving liability in a negligence lawsuit is not an easy task. First, you have to prove causation that the uh, that the injuries or damages were actually caused by the actions of the defendant. And then you have to approve a breach of the standard of care. So you have to show what is the standard of care. And if the home operator can show that the standard of care of a reasonably competent long-term care home operator is to do exactly what they did, then that is not negligence under the current existing common law. The current existing common law already provides a lot of protection for long-term care home operators. We don't need more protection for long-term care home operators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in your judgment, Graham, how much harder will this make it for uh, the families uh, of, of residents to sue? Introducing a standard of gross negligence will make it much, much harder than it is already. And it's not easy already because 
it changes the legal standard. It tips the balance even more in favor of the defendant and makes the likelihood of uh, a successful uh, verdict uh, even more unlikely than it would be to begin with. Okay. Um, before we bring in Donna Duncan, Marissa, I know that you were testifying. I mean, what we've been hearing, as Kathy pointed out in the public briefings, is that the Ford government is all over this. No stone will be unturned. Uh, they are definitely committed to fixing this. And after there were objections to this yesterday, he said, don't worry, we're going to look into this and there will be accountability. So, What's your sense of where they're at on all of this? It, it seems a bit contradictory. It certainly feels contradictory. And, and when I see the premier speak, you know, I believe him. I've seen tears in his eyes when speaking about the deaths in long-term care. His mother is in long-term care. But at the same time, we have, um, you know, uh, Attorney General Doug Downey and, um, you know, making changes to class action proceedings, which would unfairly compromise seniors' access to justice by making it far more difficult for these types of class action lawsuits to be, or for these types of actions to be litigated in class action. And then, you know, there's this new proposed provision that'll, you know, uh, grant immunity for for uh, protection for, for potentially for long-term care homes. And, and what does that mean and what does that look like? So, you know, um, I think you're right. I, it feels a little contradictory. And I think right now, um, especially now, uh, the province needs to come out and, and give some clarity about what they're thinking here. Okay, I would like to bring in Donna Duncan. She's the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Association. Hi, Donna. Donna, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Libby. So uh, I think you've been hearing a lot of pushback to this proposed legislation that would give uh, limit the liability of nursing homes. Uh, you say that this provision is necessary, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and and let me be clear: there, there is no doubt there have been untold losses uh, and, and such a tragedy in this. And, and Catherine, I'm so sorry for your loss. This is uh, I, I can't imagine um, what what we're trying to do right now as 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 a sector, and it's the nonprofits as well as as, as others uh, in in the sector. Is, is how do we stabilize right now? We we are at the end of the beginning of this pandemic. This is not the end. Uh, what we're uh, certainly recognizing, and we've looked at what has happened in British Columbia, what has happened in the, uh, the UK, as well as uh, in uh, uh, the United States, is. Um, because of the, the nature of the pandemic uh, and, and how extraordinary it's been and how extraordinarily devastating it's been to long-term care homes, not just in Ontario, but, but across the country and around the world, uh, uh, long-term care is becoming uninsurable. Uh, and if we don't have insurance, we can't uh, have financing, uh, which means we can't rebuild and, and renew the sector. We can't stabilize the sector. And in many cases, especially in the nonprofits, we, we can't even have any, any governance of the sector uh, because the insurance companies are, are pulling the, um, the, the director's insurance. So we're really concerned about what happens with if the four insurance companies who insure long-term care in Canada decide that they're no longer in that business. And we're certainly already hearing that uh, one of the larger ones 
has already given notice that no more insurance, uh, pandemic insurance for long-term care period. Uh, so what does that mean on a go-forward basis uh, as where we know we need to stabilize, we, we need to renew these buildings on an interim basis as well as a longer-term basis? Uh, because if we can't, if we can't have insurance, and, and all of us have insurance on our homes, on our cars, and and such, um, then uh, how do we operate? Uh, and we we, we have seventy eight thousand people in long term care, thirty six thousand people waiting. And I think certainly what we've seen through through this experience is we've got to do better. We need to improve the the physical place. We need to show up our staffing levels. Uh, we need to increase accountability, absolutely. And so what, what, what is being proposed and certainly what we're supporting is, is what uh, was brought in in British Columbia, where it's not a universal amnesty at all. It, there is zero tolerance for abuse and neglect. Families have to have access to due process and, and, and accountability has to, be, has to be put in place. Uh, and the premier certainly made a commitment to ensuring that there's going to be accountability. And certainly as an association, um, absolutely zero tolerance for abuse and neglect. And we have to make sure that families will have uh, access to due process and justice. Okay, let's uh, let's hear the reaction. Marissa, what's your reaction to what Donna is saying? Well, I appreciate a home not being able to operate in the absence of insurance, but is granting immunity protection for that home the only way to go about doing that? Graham? Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, did I interrupt you, Marissa? No. Nope. Uh, Graham, what, 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 do you, what do you say to Donna? Why are we thinking of passing the uninsured risk from the home operators and from the insurance companies to the long-term care home residents and their families? Um, it's like uh, allowing people to operate automobiles or trucks on the highway without insurance because uh, they can't get insurance. You know, if the... Uh, The idea of a long-term care home operator withdrawing from a jurisdiction is not new. You know, we've seen uh, chains withdraw from Florida and Texas and Kentucky and from the United States entirely, where they were not able to get statutory immunity from uh, negligence lawsuits. That's happened before. And what happens in place is other operators who are prepared to operate homes properly uh, will take their place. And this may speak to the need for more uh, not-for-profit uh, more government operations uh, and less for-profit private operations where more uh, more more proportion of the deaths have taken place. Uh, Donna, I mean, as I'm sure you're aware, in recent weeks there have been a, a growing chorus of calls to say uh, people don't want for-profit operators. They want this to come both to come under the Canada Health Act and uh, to not have for-profit operations. So isn't this all of a piece? Um, actually, you know, I, I, I think it's important that we focus on what is the problem we're solving for and what are we, what are we up against today and what do we need to fix today. Um, we need to stabilize our long-term care homes. Our, our challenge for, for non-profit homes and, uh, um, as, well as, as well as for the private homes is there is no new insurance. So no new players are going to come into the system in Ontario because the insurance companies have been very clear that they are not going to uh, increase insurance or add new, new uh, operators to the insurance 
Uh, certainly we saw early on, even with the hospitals wanting to come in uh, to support long-term care homes by bringing staff in to shore them up, um, the, uh, insur- the, the hospitals had asked uh, the long-term care homes to increase their liability insurance before they would go in, and the insurance company said no. So it became a real barrier to being able to get the kind of help that we need. So when even a hospital can't come in uh, to help because of this, uh, because of the insurance issues, uh, that that speaks to the sustainability and and how we need to do something right now to stabilize this. We need to look at the system as a whole on a go-forward basis. But right now, we, as I said, this is the end of the beginning of this. We need to make sure that right now we're focused on doing an interim capital enhancements uh, so that we can make sure that we can cohort for appropriate infection prevention control. We need to make sure we can continue to partner with hospitals and that they can continue to come in safely into the home. We need to make sure that we've, we've got staff and that staff come back uh, and that uh, we continue with the testing and 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 we also have to look at how we better support our families right now uh, including through through visitation and problem solve together so that we're recognizing the families uh, as part of our circle of care and we need to make it safe for families to come in homes but if we don't have insurance then then that makes it very very difficult at this point as we're going into a second wave to like any time people talk about September but it could be sooner than September so let's how do we stabilize today how do we look at some of the bigger systemic issues and certainly the commission is going to be looking at those uh, and we're we really welcome the commission and and see how it's going to help us uh Solve for the bigger issues and the and the root causes of this, but but we have work to do today in order to keep people safe and safer on a on a go forward basis. Uh, when did you bring this to the government's attention? Did you have meetings with the premier, with the attorney general? It, so so what I can say is uh, I, I I can say we we have not had specific conversations with the premier personally, uh, nor have we had uh, nor have I spoken to the attorney general. We've been working uh, through the issue uh, largely through through the public service and uh, trying to to problem solve as we think about what some of the risks are to the stability of the sector. So uh, we've been talking about it since. Um, since uh, British Columbia brought in the measure, uh, and and it's something that we've also been talking to our global partners about uh, around the world uh, as they've they've seen so, measures like this being sorry, brought in in their countries. Sorry to interrupt. So you you brought this to the attention. It would be of deputy ministers, right? We phrased it with deputy ministers and policy analysts inside government. Okay, so it's it's not at the level of of the minister. Um, <clears throat> Marissa, is that a is that a, a a reasonable comment saying we have to stabilize now and other players won't be able to come in? I mean, we know that some some homes are operated by municipalities and they're in general faring better. I, you know, I, I I'm not a lawyer and I I don't know. Um, all I can say is that you know when we when we heard Ms. Park speak earlier, you could hear just the real disappointment and frustration in her voice that she was concerned um, that she may, you know, that there may be a day when she may not have the ability to seek access to justice for the loss of her loved one. And, um, you know, I, I find I find this proposal deeply troubling because um, it does in so many ways tip the balance in favor of the defendant. And, and I wonder if there are alternative solutions to stabilizing the long-term care sector than than granting immunity to these homes. 
I mean, we we already heard from two lawyers now that say proving negligence is difficult enough. Yeah, that's a, a question that we'll get to in a moment. Graham Webb, what about this argument that they need to stabilize now? It's it's not like there's going to be a wholesale turnover possible before the second wave, and they need the insurance. Well, if the goal is to stabilize the industry now, and if the government of Ontario is confident in the long-term care home system that it that it implements under Ontario law, then maybe the Ontario government should stand behind the financial liabilities of long-term care home operators in cases of negligent suits if they can't obtain insurance. Every one of these 630 long-term care homes is licensed by the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, by the, by the government of Ontario. They are issuing licenses. And if the government of Ontario doesn't have confidence in the licensees, then it should not be issuing those licenses. And if it does have confidence in those licensees and they can't obtain insurance because the way they carry on their business, then maybe the government of Ontario should be the financial backer for uh, liability claims of older adults and other people who are harmed in Ontario long-term care homes. Is that a good idea, Donna? You know, I, 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 I want to be clear. We're not talking about a universal uh, amnesty here. We really are talking about some liability protection um, in the face of a, a, a global pandemic where every single jurisdiction around the world, uh, we have seen uh, homes for the aged and, and senior care re- really quite devastated. What has happened in Ontario um, is a microcosm of that, that greater world and the way the way the insurance actually works is uh, tied to that, that that global landscape unfortunately uh, you know we, we have uh, looked at some of the the backstop measures that that are be, certainly being proposed in other jurisdictions in the United States as well but they're about um, building something in the coming months, uh, and weeks to look at what another financing or backstop could be where the government could shore up the insurance on a go forward basis. Uh, but, but that's going to take time and we don't have time. Like we, we know that insurance is changing. The terms of insurance are, are, are changing today. Uh, we know that even, uh, nonprofits homes where they may have financing arrangements as they're, they're trying to rebuild. And I know there are, there are a number of, uh, uh, really strong, robust nonprofit homes that are, that are in the process of rebuilding. If they don't have insurance, then they're in uh, breach of their debt covenants, and, they're, and then uh, <laughs> they won't they won't be able to survive. And they don't have insurance for their for their board directors either. So today has to be about stabilization. Uh, we need to uh, look at where the government's going to take the commission and how the commission and its mandate will be structured to look at the root causes uh, and, more importantly, uh, talk about how, how do we go forward on a, on a longer-term basis. Uh, but what the remedies were certainly yeah, looking to government to support today is, is about stabilization today and through a second wave, which uh, everyone is anticipating uh, to come uh, as 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 early as September, but but it but it may be earlier than that. And so our priority is is that, and our priority is is also to ensure that families do have access to recourse, that they do have access to justice, that where there's been gross negligence and abuse, that, that and, and and tragic loss of life, that, that the families can can get remedies for that. Uh, that that is. Okay, that uh, that line is sounding bad. John, are you there? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. just a, f- a final question for you, uh, Donna, and that is, um, uh, we seem to be a bit unclear about exactly what that would protect that's not protected under the law now. I mean, what what do you see? Is that, would that protect a home that, you know, didn't separate patients? I mean, who would be protected here that is not protected already? So, so under what what it would do is allow uh, all of the long term care homes in the province to continue to be insured. Uh, it would allow for their directors to continue to have uh, directors' liability insurance. Uh, what it would not do is it. You know, it would not prevent anyone from seeking recourse through the courts, uh, through uh, class action and other suits, uh, and people would be would be free to to go through due due process in order to ensure justice. So, uh, for us, it it really is um, more of a, a technical ask just to to stabilize so that we can continue to operate, uh, and that's uh, and that's. You know, with the 626 homes in the province, uh, the majority of those homes did not go into outbreak at all. Not even one case. Uh, you know, it's it's where we saw tragic loss uh, was in a minority of the homes, and, and that's devastating. And, and families have to be able to have access to to due process. Okay, Donna Duncan, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Be well. Okay. Bye bye. Um, Marissa, does that give you confidence? I was, I was actually just cut off for the last probably two minutes of, of what Donna was saying. Um, uh, so I, she, I don't know that was, I can... she was, she was saying that, that, um, she, they need to stabilize. She said that a number of times yeah. and yeah. that it's important to her that, that people do have access in the case of gross negligence. Does that sure. give you any kind of confidence? Um, yes. I mean, I, I I'm glad to hear Ms. Duncan say that, uh, representing long-term care homes in Ontario. Um, and, and I, and I wouldn't think that she would feel any other way. However, um, the fear is that this legislation is passed could create a loophole and, you know, for, for long-term care homes. And, and, you know, there are some serious questions because even if, you know, the, the, the individuals working in these homes were acting in, in complete good faith, which what does that mean? Um, what about the, the, the conditions in the homes that enabled the virus to spread like wildfire? What about four bedroom wards and narrow hallways? Will they be granted immunity? So I think there are a number of questions that, that need to be answered, um, by, by the province. Uh, and, uh, also, it, I mean, she said that they've been bringing this up through the bureaucracy, basically. Does that, uh, have a, give an opportunity, uh, you know, to lobby the, the politicians? Sure. I mean, it does sound like there's been some lobbying that's gone on here. Yeah. But, uh, but not at the highest level. I mean, I don't know. Graham? Well, I, I think there is an opportunity for lobbying to prevent this change. I mean, we talk about running out of time. People like Kathy Parks and her family and hundreds and thousands of other Ontarians have already run out of time. And if the goal is to stabilize the system by cutting off their claims, then that's a bad thing. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we have greater accountability for long-term care homes, not lesser accountability. I'm quite sure that... Um, uh, uh, the premier and other elected officials are, are absolutely sincere 
and their intentions to improve the long-term care home system, but we've seen this before. I can remember when a previous Minister of Health, George Smitherman, was reduced to tears when confronted by uh, newspaper investigations and articles about the condition of long-term care homes in Ontario, and that was around the same time that a, uh, a, an Ontario-based chain withdrew operations from Florida uh, because of the prospect of liability lawsuits, in fact, massive judgments of about $20 million against long-term care homes. If the threat of civil litigation um, forces negligent operators out of the system, that is a good thing. We need the province of Ontario to stand behind uh, what it's delivering in the long-term care home system. Let's not uh, cut off the claims of the long-term care home residents and their families as the means to stabilize the system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think that we will be revisiting this topic. It seems really important and, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's developing. We don't know exactly what the government has in mind. So in the meantime, thank you so much, Marissa Lennox, CARP's Chief Advocacy Officer, and Graham Webb with the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.